Welcome to the Russian Rulers Podcast, Episode 37. A son, an heir, a grave disappointment. Last week, we recounted how the victory at Poltava launched Russia into the forefront as a world power, and how the Pruth campaign could have caused everything to be lost. Now, Peter had lost some of his early gains against the Turks, but his victories over the Swedes remained in place, largely to Charles Twelfth not being present at the Battle of Pruth. At this point of his life, Peter was not well. He suffered numerous bouts of illness, depression, and seizures. To combat this, the Tsar would head to Karlsbad, Germany, to take in the medicinal baths. Also, on October 14, 1711, Peter attended the wedding of his son Alexis to Charlotte Christine of Brunswick-Lundberg-Wolfenbüttel, after which he headed to St. Petersburg, where he ordered all government officials to finish their move from Moscow to the new capital. Then, in February 1712, he married his wife Catherine in a public church wedding. Things began to change in Europe with Russia's victory at Poltava and the weakening of the Swedes, as now the Danish were back at it against Sweden. The Prussians and the Hanoverians also joined in. Charles, who was heading back to Sweden, tried to rally his people to begin a new push against Poland, but they simply didn't have the resources and their enemies were at the Swedish gates. Soon, territories previously under the flag of Charles XII whittled away. Now Russia, she aimed at the prize of Finland. Peter started 1714 by capturing Helsinki in the spring. He pitted his navy now, led by Admiral Oproskin, against a Swedish one, led by Admiral Watrang. The Swedes had a supposed big advantage, as they had far more ships of the line available, complete with numerous cannons on board, whereas the Russians had mostly galleys, which were powered by both sail and oars, with very few cannons. The Swedish navy, though, had to rely solely on the wind to move. At the Battle of Hango, the ability to move without the wind proved decisive, as the calmness allowed the Tsar's navy to attack and capture numerous of the more heavily armed Swedish ships and win a convincing victory. Peter felt this win was bigger than Poltava, although history would disagree. Peter wrote, quote, We beg to report the manner in which Almighty God was pleased to glorify Russia. For, after granting us many victories on land, now we have been crowned with victory at sea. For on the twenty-seventh day of this month, by Hango, near the haven of Rilax Figl, we captured the Swedish Rear Admiral Nilsson Ehrenshield with one frigate, six galleys, and two sloops, after much and very fierce fire. In this war, as with our allies in the war with France, many generals and even field marshals have been taken, but not one flag officer. Russia was the bear of the East, and many European leaders began to worry. Peter was an impetuous boy during the Great Embassy, and leader of a backwater country. But now, Russia was becoming a scary behemoth, and becoming a naval threat to the maritime powers, like Holland and England. The old, old powers of Europe were embroiled in a number of intrigues, such as the Jacobite threat to the crown of England, 
and the death of Louis XIV and the ascension of his five-year-old son, Louis XV. If not for all these problems and a number of others, it is likely that Sweden would have gained support in its battle with Russia from others in Europe. A bigger problem was confronting Peter, and that was his son and successor, Alexis. The boy was manipulated at an early age to despise his father. His mother, Eudosha Lupkahina, was sent away, and Alexis resented his father for it. He was also influenced greatly by a number of old-line boyars who yearned for a return to the old ways. Constantly being pushed by his father to study harder, work faster, and generally be more like his father, Alexis strained under the pressure. His marriage was a sham. He abused his wife, who ran home and complained about her husband, creating strained relations with her German parents and Peter. Cajoled to come back by her father-in-law, Catherine returned to bear a son in 1715, which she named Peter. At the same time, the Tsar, whose wife was also called Catherine, bore a son as well, which they called Peter. Yes, we now have three Peters and two Catherines. But this was to pare itself down, as Alexis's wife died shortly after childbirth, and Peter the Great Son was not going to survive childhood. Alexis, though, begged his father, now that there were other potential male heirs, to allow him to live a normal life and allow him to renounce his claim to the throne. Peter was outraged. He hadn't spent all this effort on the boy just to have him throw it all away. He ordered him to continue on with his duties. Alexis was so terrified of his father that he fired a gun near his hand to get a powder burn as an excuse for not doing a task appointed to him. At this time, in 1716, Peter was ready to invade Sweden proper, but the constantly turning winds of intrigue in Europe began to blow in the Tsar's face. George I of England, who was also the ru ruler of Hanover, saw Russia as a threat, and aided by a rumor that the Tsar was secretly helping the Jacobite Stuarts to retake England, joined with Holland and France to protect Swedish rights in the north. Diplomatic opposition was for the first time stifling Peter. Another roadblock was being presented by the Russian Senate, who slowly debated the financing and supplying of the war effort. Because of this, Peter and his Admiral Lepraxin were forced to abandon the Finnish campaign. Now, Menshikov at the time had fallen way out of favor with Peter because of the incredible corruption and theft of taxes he undertook with his cronies. So much did Menshikov take that he was considered wealthier than Peter. Then the proverbial kick in the groin came when Alexis disappeared. The Tsarevich, frightened by a letter from his father, asking which monastery he wished to be locked into, fled to Vienna and begged asylum from Emperor Charles VI. Peter flew into a rage. He felt utterly betrayed. In the background, luckily without Peter's knowledge, Charles XII of Sweden was corresponding with Alexis, promising that if Charles could overthrow Peter, Alexis could take over and undo all the Tsar's reforms. 
The belief Charles was under was that many of the Russian boyars were disenchanted with Peter, and it was just a matter of time before they would overthrow their ruler. This was a delusion. Peter found out where his son was hiding out, and he was none too pleased. He sent the following message to Charles demanding Alexis's return. Quote, we cannot allow your imperial majesty to oppose our demands. We await your final decision, which will determine the measures we will have to take. Now Charles VI, as the Holy Roman Emperor, thought that he was above all others, and he was rightly insulted. But as he was in a war with Turkey, he had no desire to add Russia to the list of enemies. On the other hand, Peter was pretty unpopular in both his country and Europe as a whole, and Charles could use this for his bidding. But the problem was Alexis was not an imposing or impressive man. Quite the opposite. He was a drunk and a milk toast. During this time, Peter and Catherine visited Paris, and the French were reluctant to welcome this barbaric Russian Tsar. They were not too far off in their assessment. One incident, Peter grabbed the eight-year-old Louis XV and lifted him up in the air and gave him a big hug. But it was what he did to Louis XIV's 82-year-old wife that truly appalled the French sensibilities. The old dowager did not want to meet Peter, so she retired to her bedroom. Peter, on the other hand, just marched up the stairs, went into her room, drew back her bed curtains, and just plopped down on her bed, talking to her as though all was normal. The Tsar then left France behind with sort of mixed results. The Triple Alliance of France, Britain, and Holland remained, but there were those in France who saw Russia as a potential partner against long-time enemy England. Charles VI of the Holy Roman Empire now decided that protecting Alexis was too dangerous, and he had to go but he could not be harmed in his own country. He allowed Russian envoy Peter Tolstoy to deliver the following message to Alexis from his father. Quote, Before God and his judgment, I will not punish you, and if you submit to my will by obeying me, and if you return, I will love you better than ever. But if you do not, I, as a father, and in accordance with the authority I hold from God, will curse you eternally for your contempt and for the crimes you have committed against your father. And as your sovereign, I will pronounce you traitor, and you may be sure that I will find a way to punish you as such. Well, Tolstoy was successful in persuading Alexis to return to Russia, which he did in January 1718. This was not to turn out to be a wise decision for the young Tsarevich. Alexis was terrified of his father and was willing to do anything to avoid his wrath. Peter and his aides began to interrogate the Tsarevich. They wanted to know if there were any plots against the Tsar and who was in on it. Alexis began to talk and gave out names like it was going out of style. He implicated lots of people who were either disenchanted with Peter or just had said a bad word or two about him. But then Peter's agents grabbed Alexis's pregnant mistress, Euphrosine. She was scared, 
and began to blurt out how Alexis wanted his father to die, how he's going to use the disenchanted to retake the government and bring back the old ways. Then Peter's agents grabbed Alexis's pregnant mistress, Euphrosine. She was scared and began to blurt out how Alexis wanted his father to die, how he was going to use the disenchanted to retake the government and bring back the old ways. Alexis was then arrested and brought to the Peter and Paul fortress to be tortured to find out who the co-conspirators were. Alexis squealed and he claimed the following, quote, I expected in a Moscow all the bishops and Tsarevna Maria would join me. And in Finland, Cor Prince Mikhail Mikhailovich Golitsyn, and in Riga, Prince Peter Alexeyevich Golitsyn, is also a friend and would not desert his own. And so all the border with Europe would be mine, and all would be except me without any opposition, although not directly as sovereign, certainly as regent. And in the main army, Boris Petrovich Shermatev and many officers are friends to me. And about the simple people, I have heard from many, they love me. Also, I expected, though without great confidence, that Tsarista Preskovia would be inclined towards me. Also, I hope for the late Prince Caesar and Pope as on friends. Now Peter had to deal with this issue quickly as word spread throughout Europe that Russia was about to overthrow the government. This was weakening the Tsar's bargaining position with Charles XII, who, while his economy was in a state of collapse, he was still holding out hope for a better treaty. Executing your son was a difficult decision for the Tsar. He called upon the church and their elders for advice. A trial was called for, and his only moment of guts, Alexis proclaimed the following, quote, The whole country is on my side. It is obvious to me that you desire my death. Well, I gladly die. Beware of what will happen to you afterwards. The judges declared that Tsarevich guilty, and within two days, Alexis was executed on June 26, 1718, in a very unknown manner. Peter strangely was elated and on the next day participated in the celebration of the anniversary of the victory at Poltava. Five months later, another thorn in Peter's side, Charles XII, died. But tragedy struck when Peter Petrovich, the Tsar's son, also died soon thereafter, throwing secession plans into disarray. Next time, we wrap up the life of the most influential man in Russian history. Now, for this week in Russian history, for the week of February 6th through the 12th, in 1191, Yaroslav of Russia in Kiev is born. In 1238, the Mongols burnt the Russian city of Vladimir. In 1693, Empress Anna of Russia, daughter of Ivan V, is born. In 1696, Tsar Ivan V of Russia died. And on the very same day, 29 years later, in 1725, Tsar Peter the Great of Russia died. In 1700, Alexei Sheen, the Russian general and statesman, died. In 1788, the Habsburg Empire joins the Russo-Turkish War and the Russian camp. In 1807, at the Battle of Ilau, 
Napoleon defeated the Russians under General Benningsen. In 1837, Alexander Pushkin, Russian poet and novelist, died. In 1890, Boris Pasternak, Russian writer, Nobel Prize laureate and author of Dr. Zhivago, was born. In 1904, at the Battle of Port Arthur, a surprise torpedo attack by the Japanese at Port Arthur, China, starts the Russo-Japanese War. And in 1921, Peter Kropotkin, a Russian anarchist, died. Well, I hope you enjoyed today's podcast. I will need to take a week off as, while I love doing these podcasts, I do need to make a living and I will be on the road heading to Providence, Rhode Island to teach a three-day class on lab testing. I'll be back on February 21st where we will end our epic series on the man who changed Russia forever, Peter the Great. Now please don't forget to visit the websites russianrulers.podhoster.com, become a Facebook friend at Russian Rulers History Podcast, leave a comment, make a suggestion, ask a question, and as always, Das vidanya i spasiba bolshoya.